it's not too long. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's see here. Um, bring this in. Uh, it's gonna have to mention it's assistant editors month. I'll mention the show that we're on and where we're from. And okay. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> Three. La la. Two. Oh yeah, get your laws in. La la la. <clears throat> la. Uh, okay. Oh, do it now. <laughs> All right, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dave. I'm Dal Schwarzenegger. What do you want? <laughs> I want to be an Ewok in the next movie. <laughs> I'm cuddly. I'm here. Hug me. All right. Go. Go. All right. <clears throat> Back to the bin. Come on. Hello. It's Assistant Editor's Month here at Back to the Bins, and uh, this is not the usual voice that you're used to hearing. No, I am not Mr. Producer Paul Spataro, and you will not be joined by Dr. Bill or Scott Gardner. Uh, today, for Assistant Editor's Month, we're bringing you not Back to the Bins, but Cast to the Bins. Uh, my name is Chris Tyler, a.k.a. The Hand Metal Hero, and I am along for the ride for this episode with my cohorts from Cast Protection, a Stranger Things podcast, Mr. Jonathan Kreitz. Howdy. And Mr. Dave Atterbury. Hello, friends. And uh, we're doing a solid for all of y'all and uh, allowing Mr. Producer to get some time off. And uh, we're going to be taking over the reins this week and covering some books. Uh, before we go into that, though, I am going to pimp our own show. Uh, like I said, we have a show called Cast Protection, where we cover the uh, series Stranger Things, which is a Netflix original series. Uh, we got nine episodes out. We cover the entire first season. And if you've watched that show, you'll know that it takes place uh, in 1983. Uh, and it's very much a loving homage to Stephen King, Steven Spielberg, John Carpenter, um, the Cthulhu mythos in some ways, and just about anything and everything 80s and genre-related. Uh, so the uh, the kids in that series are living in a time when, uh, you know, comic books were... Uh, 80s comic books so because of that uh, we've decided to pick some books that the kids potentially would have read in uh, that time frame of uh, stuff that would have come out uh, in 1983 or before and uh, we're going to cover a couple of books here we are going to stick to the traditional back to the bins format of covering a marvel a dc and an indie book and uh seeing as how uh I've got the Marvel book. I'm going to take it away, and we're going to start with X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1. Uh, and this is issue number 134, which is directly referenced in the first episode of Stranger Things. That's right. That's the one. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, we all kind of picked up on that, and all of us good little nerdlings went immediately to Google, be like, which, which issue is that? Which issue is that? And we all typed it in furiously. And uh, we are given that issue, uh, number 134. 
And uh, this was released uh, in March of uh, 1980. The cover date is June of 1980. And the issue uh, is called... And I can't remember what the... Uh, Too Late the Heroes is the name of the issue. It was written by Chris Claremont during his epic run on Uncanny. The plotter and penciler is... Uh, <clears throat> get ready to feel it. Feel that burn. John Byrne. The inker's Terry Austin. The letterer is Tom Orzakowski. And the colorist was Bob Sharon. So we are going to plunge into this issue. The cover depicts uh, Wolverine, Cyclops and Colossus on the left-hand side of the page and members of the Hellfire Club, uh, Sebastian Shaw, uh, let's see, uh, Donald Pierce, yeah, Donald Pierce, and Mastermind uh, on the right-hand side. Uh, they're silhouetted in red and black. In the middle is Jean Grey, uh, dressed as the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club. And behind her is a vaguely bird-shaped plume of flame. Uh, and the cover is a direct uh, homage to Uncanny X-Men number 100, which uh, had uh, Professor X in the in the background uh, in between his old team of X-Men and his new team of X-Men. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's jump right into this synopsis here. So... Uh, it is a continuation from last issue. It's an ongoing story involving the Hellfire Club. Um, so we uh, we open the issue with uh, Cyclops nearly having been killed in psychic combat with the Mastermind, and uh, this is all. Um, there's a lot of uh, jiggery pokery going on with uh, some mind games here. Um, and the uh, Hellfire Club is gloating over their victory over the X-Men, who have all been uh, affixed with collars that are going to inhibit their mutant powers. As the Hellfire Club is gloating over their victory, Jean looks on in worry. Uh, before the Hellfire Club can do anything else, uh, Wolverine bursts through... <laughs> the meeting that the Hellfire Club is having. He's tossing off guards as he rushes through, and Sebastian Shaw orders Jean to attack Wolverine, which she does. However, while the others are focusing on that going on, she uses her telekinetic powers to unlock the helmet that's been placed over Cyclops' uh, eyes, inhibiting his optic blasts. Uh, with the knowledge that this is going on, Cyclops immediately opens his eyes, shoots the helmet off of his head, and uh, he knocks out Donald Pierce before using the optic bat blast uh, to free the other X-Men from their constraints with a little bit of uh, psychic help from Jean Grey. Ray. Um, and uh, he blasts away at uh, Henry Leland. Jean stops her fight with Wolverine to go and join the others. And this is after Wolverine's upset that, you know, he thinks she's kind of gone to the dark side. Logan goes after uh, Leland to get revenge for his earlier defeat. Uh, that must have been a previous issue because we didn't read it. Cyclops defeats Shaw by blasting out the ground from underneath him. And the reason he's had to do that, if you remember Sebastian Shaw, uh, who was played by Kevin Bacon in the first class movie, he can absorb any kinetic energy and send it back. So instead of Cyclops directly shooting him, he shoots out the ground underneath him, causing him to fall. Uh, Donald Pierce manages to escape when Colossus uh, tries to take care of him without uh, meddling himself up. 
While witnessing the battle, Mastermind decides decides to use his illusion-based mutant powers to hide out and just see what happens. Uh, Mastermind is also looking to try to take control of the Hellfire Club, so if some of those guys get hurt, he's not too upset. As Wolverine dives down to the lower level of the Hellfire Club uh, to attack his enemy, Leland makes the stupid mistake of using his mutant power of increasing mass uh, on Wolverine, who is falling directly at him. (laughs) Not the smartest thing to do. Uh, Causing him to land uh, completely uh, just dead on him while his claws are out. Uh, As Sebastian Shaw tries to flee through the Hellfire Club, he's attacked by Nightcrawler and Storm. The the disturbance at the Hellfire Club doesn't go unnoticed. The police are called, and an alert also goes out to the nearby Avengers Mansion, uh, where Beast is on duty. Beast at this time was a full-fledged member of the Avengers, um, having uh, left the X-Men team quite a while ago. And this is uh, post the solo Beast series, uh, which he kind of meandered around and never really found a foothold on on where to place him. Uh, So he's reading about how his former friends in the X-Men are involved in the commotion. Uh, He does something that maybe as an Avenger he shouldn't do. He erases the record of the emergency from the Avengers computer, and he goes off to help his old comrades. We cut back to the Hellfire Club, where Colossus catches up to Donald Pierce and uh, gets him uh, sort of a bear hug. Uh, Donald Pierce, he's part machine, uh, so he's um, got some cybernetic. Yeah, he's got some cybernetic enhancements, uh, which they they directly referenced in the uh, the Logan film, where they used him in a much different capacity. Colossus's strength uh, proves to be the better, and he's able to snap Pierce's uh, mechanical arm. However, uh, with the electronics in his arm going haywire, uh, Pierce is able to uh, send an arcing shot of electricity into Colossus's eyes, blinding him and allowing him to escape. Elsewhere in the club, Nightcrawler and Storm try their best to defeat Sebastian Shaw in battle. However, he escapes as well. Uh, Storm mentions to Nightcrawler that she, he really can't hit him because anything you do to Shaw, he's going to send back at you. So Storm kind of plays the long game and causes the temperature to go down and uh, get Shaw to have to kind of deal with the cold that's coming on and it does slow him down sufficiently where uh, Nightcrawler and Storm are able to survive but uh, Shaw does get away upstairs uh, Cyclops um, let's see here oh sorry missed a step here uh, let's see uh, meeting up with Pierce in one of the club's uh, many secret tunnels uh, this is uh, Sebastian Shaw. He tells his comrade that he'll make the X-Men pay for all of this. Upstairs at the Hellfire Club, Cyclops tries to calm down the partygoers, but Mastermind has used his mutant power to uh, make them think that uh, Cyclops is attacking them all. Just then, um, the power in the mansion uh, goes out, and this is uh, due, in fact, to something that happened in a previous issue. Uh, the skirmish between uh, Shar and Wolverine left some power cables cut, and the rising water underneath the mansion causes everything to short out. Cyclops runs into Wolverine in the dark, and he tells him to gather the other X-Men while he goes looking for Jean. Jean, meanwhile throughout the issue has slowly been giving in to the darkness in her soul and she tracks down Mastermind and pins him to the wall Uh, she finds on him a device created by the White Queen Um, and at this time who was that that was um, oh gosh 
what's her name? They used her in first class as well. Um, Emma Frost. Emma Frost. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, what's the name of that device here? I'm going to get the, the name of it. The, uh, I want to make sure I have it. Mechanism? The Mind Tap mechan- Mechanism. That's the one. Uh, okay. Yep. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> back to the synopsis. Uh, so, uh, she finds on him the uh, mind tap mechanism created by uh, Emma Frost, and uh, that allowed him to beam his illusions directly into her mind. She's darkly amused, but she dis- destroys the device and then gives Mastermind what he wanted absolute control of cosmic power. She opens up his mind to the length and breadth of the universe and all that entails. Having done so to just a mortal man, uh, Mastermind is left in a quivering heap on the floor. She runs into Scott, and although she feels strange, she accompanies him and the other X-Men as they flee to their uh, jet parked in Central Park. Watching them go from the window, Shaw vows to ruin the X-Men's public image and turn them into public enemy number one. The X-Men load up their plane, and they take off just as a massive amount of police uh, begin to arrive at the Hellfire Club. Jean, finally unable to contain herself, gives into her dark side. She changes her costume into the uh, red version of the Phoenix outfit and announces that she is no longer the woman they knew, but rather power incarnate. Suddenly, the X-Men ship explodes due to her power. And the last tagline of the issue is, uh, next, Dark Phoenix. So, um... Yeah, this is the first appearance of the Dark Phoenix uh, in the X-Men lore. Um, so uh, I've rambled on long enough. Uh, what do you guys think of this issue? Great issue. Great issue. Yeah. It is, I mean, it's kind of a, a middle piece of a much longer story. Yeah. But even then, it's, it's, it's a uh, great issue, I'd say, from start to finish, just, you know, uh, seeing the X-Men team work together, lots of action as they try and escape. And then uh, just the very dramatic turn at the end with uh, Jean basically, you know, giving in to her darker desires. I guess. Yeah, it's uh, been a, it's been kind of a long time coming. Yeah. 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 You know, it's it's funny. Uh, it seems like every time I I am on back to the bins, I we read something from this time period, and every time <laughs> I I um. I noticed, like, I kind of like these exposition-heavy reads. Well, that's Chris Claremont for you. (laughs) Packing it, packing it full. I don't know. Maybe it's just because, like, I'm I'm a book reader. I've always been a a reader since I was a a young kid. So I kind of dig it. I dig this style. I I dig the art. I dig the fact that the bad guys, using their powers of illusion, make themselves all look like these hairy bare-chested 70s dudes like oh. yeah it's not it, it, yeah that's uh, i forgot yeah, to I mention it. basically yeah. basically giving Jean a, a very romantic version of her deepest desires and it's very much a, a 17 or 1800s yeah, uh, revolutionary almost victor era yeah revolutionary or victorian <laughs> yeah everybody's got <laughs> mutton chops and yeah 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 it's kind of I loved it. It was really good. It was kind of cool, and it, you know, and since again, I was that deprived child whose parents made him choose between Star Wars figures and comics, and I went with the Star Wars figures. I can't blame um, you. I know, I know. Uh, it's it's kind of cool because you know this 
you know, the tiebacks, and I can see where X-Men First Class, you know, had its roots here in this stuff, and it was kind of cool to, to, to go backwards and, and see this, uh, these characters. Dave, have you ever, have you ever read, um, just the, I mean, there's several different ways you could go about it now, like different trade collections or whatever. But, I mean, the John Byrne, Chris Claremont, really the whole Cl- Chris Claremont time on X-Men is great. Yeah. With all yeah. the different, uh, with all the different uh, artists he had. I mean, go from Cockrum to yeah. Byrne to Smith, uh, and on and on and on. Basically everything since Giant Size X-Men number one until the time Claremont kind of peters out near the end in the well, uh, later the, the 80s, X-Men, early 90s. X-Men, you know, when, you know, yeah, I think the, I need to get on the uh, basically. Yeah, I think I need to get on that that Marvel app and just read that whole run because it's well, definitely definitely read like the late seventies, early eighties stuff. I I read through it a couple summers ago, or probably five or six summers ago now. Uh, we yeah. went to the beach and I checked out from the library the first four or five essentials. Um, essentials. Yes, I got I got a stack of them right behind me. Okay, so they're in black and white, which actually is okay because the John Byrne artwork, which I know you said the art was good, the art's yeah. great. Like the art in this story, yeah. And this is like a modern colorized version, you know, what we're looking at. They yeah. didn't look probably uh-huh. as good uh, in the original, but the arts, the art's awesome. I mean, super detailed. Great, you know, action, poses, whatever. Um, you know, really, really good art. You can follow everything, you know, so easily. It's, uh, really dynamic. You know, love. I think we actually got good art in all the books we have. Tonight, yeah. But, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, this is, uh, this is no, back I, in the time. Great story. Great yeah. story classic story. It's funny. I was of the age, uh, in the 90s when the, the X Men animated show that aired on Fox. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes. You know, that was really my heyday. So my first exposure to most of the Claremont-era stories, whether it was Phoenix or the Morlocks or whatever, right? that was all through that show. Yeah, the so show was was, uh, was pretty faithful about Same. taking a, a lot of the great X-Men stories that had come, you know, in the last 20 years and adapting them rather faithfully. Yeah. Well, I mean, whether uh, I was trying to think, oh, and like Days of Future Past, like yeah, they did all that of that, one. They did versions of most of the classic X Men stories in, you know, uh, when Apocalypse came around, all that yep. kind of stuff. They did all that in the animated show. So my first exposure to that was on the animated show, and it was really dramatic even then for an animated show. But it's the, the original story here with Burning Claremont is. I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It's it's hard to beat. I mean, and every one of these issues has like some really classic, you know, iconic uh, comic moments. The previous issue, uh, Le- I think it's Leland had made, used his mass increasing mutant power, which is a very strange mutant power, but whatever. <laughs> he, he used it on Wolverine and sent Wolverine. Basically, made him so heavy that he crashed all the way through the floor uh, down into the sewer. And that's where Wolverine comes busting in in this issue. Or maybe that was two issues ago. But basically, that has a very iconic ending to that issue where Wolverine says, it's my turn now, or something like that. Okay, yeah, I think I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, he's got this, like, it's like a... This is back when Wolverine, like, this is how he got so popular as he is now. It's like, 
he's basically one man trying to get back through the Hellfire Club to rescue the team and comes crashing through the door in this episode, or this issue, I should say. Um, but yeah, The Essentials is a good way to just like really quickly plow through a bunch of these old issues. And yeah, I actually, uh, message you guys like Claremont with the freaking caption boxes because it is crazy how much. <laughs> well, uh, that's one of the things I, I miss about modern comics. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, they've, they've totally abandoned the fact that somebody might just be picking up this issue to try something out and there's almost no way to know what's going on anymore. Um, I mean, even the dialogue, I mean, I joked about the caption boxes because I was looking at the page that has, um, it's like talking about the storm outside and then yep. the Hellfire Club celebrates below and blah, 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 right, like it's right. the third page. And it's just like huge caption boxes. But even then, as you flip through, I'm just flipping through the pages right now, the dialogue, the thought bubbles, the dialogue balloons, I mean, they take up half the page or half the panel. Yep. I mean, it's really text heavy, but it, it still reads very smoothly, you know. Yeah, well, that's, I, I I like that. I think it just because it's funny because I've I've probably read more modern comics just for various and sundry reasons, and I love you know some of the art and the way that you know some of the new comics look and all that. But I think I think they're missing something not having yeah. all of this dialogue and and it just it, I think it makes it richer. I think it well, makes re- it, reading this one, did it take you ten minutes or more to read this? Yeah. Yeah. You pick up a yeah. modern comic, you're done in like five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think I like it. it. It gives it that short story feel almost, even though I know that it's, it's part of the continuing story. Um, you know, it, it always makes it easy. I feel like it always makes it better too whenever I do these, these shows to, like, I can pick up this one issue and read it and not feel like I'm completely lost and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And, and that I, that I don't get anything out of it unless I read 50 issues. You know? Yeah. Well, um, and this one is really good because, yes, you pick up right in the middle of whatever situation they're in. And even then they explain up. it pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. You know, oh, we've got our mutant inhibitor collars on and Cyclops has a mask over his eyes and, you know, and all that. Yeah. The, fr- um, the f- Within the first two pages, it's like, all right, I know where I am. Yeah. Right. Well, and well, then, so you get, you get a resolution yeah. for that whole situation. They beat the Hellfire Club through teamwork, and they make it out. But then did you not want to pick up the next issue as soon as you got to the end of the story? I mean, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. his plotting is just incredible in all these old stories where it really was like a page-turning kind of story, and you wanted to go to the next one every time. Yeah, and and like and and I got enough background on all the characters and where they're at in this particular time just from this issue itself i didn't have to go online and read up and you know i remember when i when i tried my big stab at reading current comics was the whole it was the 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 green lantern run with um okay Jeff new, Johns. yeah Jeff Johns, and i yeah. loved it but yeah. i remember I, but i remember when it got to the point of of like the blackest night stuff and it started tying in other comic book lines whenever i would read any tie-in issues I had no clue who the characters in them were, what right. their backstory was, where they were at, why they were doing the things they were doing. It, I was completely lost. Whereas this, I, I wasn't completely lost, even though it was a, it's a random 80s comic yeah. that I basically just picked up, um, quote unquote, you know, and read, you know, just and 
I think they they should be doing this this way. You know, yeah. I mean, and I could see how if I'd have been a kid in the '80s reading this too, like it would have been good to have the recap. You know, yeah, <laughs> every month. Right. And you could you could, being a kid like that, you kind of forget. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of, you know. And you could see why two uh, ten-year-old boys would have this as stakes for a bet on a bike ride. So that's a good transition yeah. to, you know, this was obviously the one we felt like we had to do, even though it wasn't published in 83, but we had to do because it was right. mentioned in the first, you know, five minutes of Stranger Things episode one. Yeah. So, I mean, I think now in hindsight it's kind of, it makes you wonder if there's any foreshadowing going on here with, you know, what could be going on with, with Eleven, and oh yeah, I feel like she's very similar to Jean Grey, and that she's got this, you know, incredible psychic power that lets her basically do whatever she wants if she is free to. Yeah, you know? but there's some there's some um, there's some damage there first. That's the right and a little right. darkness that she's worried about. Well, yeah. and I mean, it's you know, it's almost like. Uh, I think if you read the Dark Phoenix Saga, as it's called, I mean, you kind of get the sense that, you know, being exposed to this absolute power that Gene is exposed to with being the Phoenix and all this, it, like, basically the frail, the human frailty in her is uh, magnified. You know, it's like all the, like, you know, uh, emotions and everything else she's dealing with, they just get amplified and, and made that much more intense and she you know she can't really handle but so you know yeah i hope i i mean that would make it very dramatic i think in season two especially if we find it because l11 was pretty selfless in the first season i mean they right. want they needed her to go you know into the salt bath they need her to do whatever and she would right what regardless of what it cost her yeah. yeah, makes you wonder if yeah. there's not some room though in future seasons for, you know, maybe her to oh, yeah. invent that a little bit. Yeah, especially like I've I've heard them talk about that they're they're very much keen on, um, having the story jump year to year and and grow up with the kids, um, a la you know Harry Potter, and so you think about like that's one of the biggest parts about being a teenager and kind of growing up is like. Coming into your own. Yeah, it's hard enough without powers. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? You know, and then kind of finding out who you are, and I and I imagine too, like, you know, the temptation to abuse that power. You know, like, like you know, Elle is definitely, um, you know, she's young. You know, still a young, sweet girl, but you know, she's, you know, they're all about to get much older real quickly, and, um, you know, I, I can definitely see that being a, a plot line that they could get into in later seasons yeah i mean it would be a waste thematically to not try to explore that um especially with the with the relationships that she's built up so far Mm -hmm. uh so there's definitely potential there for for more drama um yeah oh yeah no i'm excited yeah and i could see yeah i I definitely see uh how that would parallel into this this storyline that's coming up in uh, yeah I mean it's a, it's a yeah picking this issue was a little on the nose but I mean that's kind of why we why we like the show <laughs> oh exactly exactly yeah yeah and you know and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that I think that's I think that's kind of what it's all about when it comes to getting into like pop culture stuff when you kind of into that kind of thing um, 
yeah, sometimes it isn't that subtle. And sometimes it's very earnest about where it's going and it's pop culture references and it's black hats, white hats stuff. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, but of all the references that are made on the show, this one is for us. I mean, this is not... Yeah. You know, the, I mean, later on, they, you know, they'll say, oh, she's pulling a Lando. It's like, that. everybody's going to get that one. Right. Only us are gonna get the X Men 134 thing, or have the the desire to go. Oh, which issue was that one? And go look it up. Oh, right. So, well, and, and I think that's the, the the other thing too. Yeah, there's 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 always a little more extra juice when this is like your passion. You know, like sure. I remember watching the show even with uh, my wife. You know, she loved it, but you know, there's a lot of little things that I would point out to her that she, you know, that that escaped her, and she's still pretty pretty geeky yeah i yeah i mean i pointed out a lot of stuff to to maureen as well it's just like oh that's that oh that's that oh that's that i mean yeah, but she yeah. she got plenty of the references herself so right yeah right uh so i think uh unless anybody's got anything more to say we should get on to uh doing the old a through f scale on this bad boy for uh that cover in in uh, all right <laughs> so uh we'll do the uh the classic a through f scale on uh cover art interior art and story um, it was my book, so I guess I'll run through it first. Uh, it's that cover is um, that's pretty damn iconic. So, and it's John Byrne, so you, you can't go wrong with it. Uh, I'm giving that a solid A on the cover. John Byrne on the interior art, also a solid A. Can't really complain about any of that artwork. And in terms of the story, because it is sort of a middle piece with a. Um, you know the narrative's pretty clean on the on the bulk of the story, uh, but you're really it's the stinger at the end. Uh, I'm going B plus on the story itself. Nice. I'll go next because um, we all read it, right? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I I would also give the A cover. It's funny you say that. As soon as you said about the uh, homage to that classic cover with you know Professor X in the middle and the new and old X-Men facing off, you're totally right. And that's a, a heavily homaged cover. But I didn't catch that as I was kind of rushing through this uh, before we got ready to do the show. So, you know, it's a good catch, and that definitely is, you know, something I appreciate. So I'd also give the an A to the cover. And, um, you know, this is classic burn. And I actually, uh, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say, like, my favorite burn at least is when he's inked by Terry Austin. Yeah. And it just makes it all so tight, you know? Like, everything is so clean and so tight and, like, detailed. And I just love the Terry Austin inked John Byrne artwork is, you know, really high up there for me. So I'd give that an A as well. And, um, you know, this is classic Claremont, classic caption boxes and really dramatic, you know, almost purple prose, you know, in terms of, like... yeah really amping up the drama and uh we got a mention of scott and gene's psychic rapport you know oh, so psionic yeah. rapport or whatever they call it so I, i'm actually gonna give it an a a a a this is you know it's a triple a book for john yeah, all right that's me i think yeah. yeah yeah i can't argue with that i think i'm i think i'm pretty much right there with you this was this was really good i, I was really impressed with this so it's no, gonna, Dave, you gotta give it to us. Cover art and story. Uh, cover a um, art a uh, story a minus. 
All right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, read this book. It's good. Yeah. Very it's good. good. I mean, it's a cla- yeah. well, this is a classic. I mean, yeah. it really is. Yeah. It, it's it part of a bigger story, but on its own, it's a classic issue, too. Yeah, yeah. this is and this is like, the heyday. This is this is when the during that time when the X Men really broke out, you know that that oh, Claremont yeah. run. Yeah, it looks in my mind what I think of like a like class. It's the it is the iconic versions of of those characters. When do you think of them? Yeah, yeah for sure. All right. All right. Is it time to go to the DC comic? It is time to head to yeah. the distinguished so competition. Does that make me the alternate universe Scott Gardner? I, I guess so. Awesome. Well, you're yeah. Well, you're you're tall and thin, and he's tall and not quite as thin. <laughs> he has hair. You're bald. Uh, you have a raging mustache. Right. He does not. So there we go. Dude, your mustache, by the way, you can't. <laughs> and this is a this is an audio medium, but Dave's mustache is, you know, on point tonight. Oh, it's tight. <laughs> I it's tight. That. <laughs> Oh, all righty. All right, let me get in the right headspace. Uh, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Tron. <laughs> um, Marvel movies. Okay. All right. Scott Gardner. I love you, buddy. Okay, here we go. So, Green Lantern number 172. Um and let's see, that was uh, its sale date according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics uh, was October 20th of 1983. Its cover date is January of 1984, uh, when I was but a wee lad. Um, cover price, 75 cents. Woohoo! So this is Ju- Judgment Day. Uh, it's by Len Wein and Dave Gibbons uh, uh, with Anthony Tolan. Tolan? I'm not sure how to pronounce it as the colorist so um diving right in as it says it's beginning starting a new beginning a startling new chapter in the extraordinary life of the emerald crusader so we open with green lantern hal jordan he's flying through the stars nearing the end of a year-long enforced exile from home lost in his thoughts of the the uh, difficulties of the last year he fails to notice that he happens to be flying past a meteor shower that is heading toward an inhabited planet. Moving quickly, he summons a giant pool cue with his power ring. Brilliant. And proceeds to uh, clear the table, so to speak, with the largest of the meteors. Um, Having saved the day, Hal proceeds onward to Oa and the headquarters of the Green Lantern Corps. There he is greeted warmly by his friends and not so warmly by uh, one of the Salak Salak yeah okay mm-hmm. um, Xenomorph <laughs> Xenomorph yeah <laughs> um, the oh, he does look like a Xenomorph no wonder okay um, <laughs> can't trust those damn Xenomorphs mm-hmm. nope uh, the guardians of the universe uh, call Hal Jordan to judgment to plead his case seems that the Guardians are displeased with him that after a year in his exile, Hal's greatest wish is to return home to his friends and family. They believe that he cares more for them than his duty to his assigned sector of the universe. Hal argues with them that his connection to his loved ones is what makes him the man that he is and a good Green Lantern. The Guardians counter with asking him if he is willing to give up his ring in order to return home. 
He replies he is not, and that having him serve at the expense of spending time at home is robbing him of precious time, time that immortals like the guardians of the universe forget is finite to a mortal like Hal. They relent and allow him to return home. Hal recites his famous oath and is allowed to recharge his ring before leaving to head back to Earth. Uh, Hal, of course, immediately heads straight to see his girlfriend, Carol Ferris, who has kept herself busy by smooching some blonde. What? (laughs) Damn you, Star Sapphire. Uh, Seriously. Carol? Uh, (laughs) We'll get there. Get there, yeah. (laughs) Hal tells himself that a year was a long time to wait by asking himself, did I really think she'd wait for me forever? Yes, damn it. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then, yes, pulling a Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Uh, Superman the movie screams yeah, yeah. and flies up into space. <laughs> yeah. um, he flies off in a rage, uh, looking for a fight to take his mind off of Carol the Hussy. Um, <laughs> leads... Uh, reads his mind and points him in the direction of a hostage situation at a local food mart. Uh, some armed robbers have taken refuge inside while the cops have them surrounded. Before they can make their move, however, they turn around and Green Lantern is standing right there behind them. With his arms folded and almost bored air about him, Green Lantern makes all the hostages vanish. As the thugs turn and open fire on him, his ring plucks the bullets right out of the air. The robbers taunt Green Lantern and tell him that he isn't so tough without his ring. Hal responds with, fellas, I thought you'd never ask. He then proceeds to toss them out the front window of the food mart. The police thank Green Lantern for his help, but he rebuffs them, saying that he may not be around for very long. Hal uh, then tries to go back to Ferris Air to grab his things and sneak off quietly, but he is stopped by Two Time and Carol. (laughs) <laughs> she berates him for not coming to her sooner. He responds to her that he did come to her sooner and caught her with Blondie. Carol then tells him that he was just a friend. Likes the story. Oh, baby, you! Sorry. <laughs> and that he has been, she's been patiently waiting for him to return. Realizing that he's been caught in an episode of Three's Company, Al <laughs> gives his best girl a hug, and she tells him, welcome home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now wait a minute here. <laughs> All right. I, I just I flip back through to page eleven when he sees her. She's got her lips on that guy's lips. Oh yeah, she's got his ha- her hands on his rib cage. Yeah. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's not like yeah. a side hug. Oh, great job. Uh, yeah. It's well, maybe it's just the way it's drawn. Maybe there's some some air between their two faces. We we don't know. It's a two dimensional image. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think Hal is right. I well, that's true. We don't know where her left hand is. We don't know where his right hand is. That's true. Dude, that's I'm true. looking at it right now. There's something going on there. That's not a hey, congratulations. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. We'll have to we'll have to take Carol's word for it. Yeah. <laughs> she laughs at him. <laughs> you dumb man. You dumb man. No, this so this anyway. is like classic comics, you know, with the the side the B plot being, you know, drama with the lady friend. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know what I mean. Yeah, so I mean, overall, I I thought it was good. I liked it. I liked it. Um, 
again, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't very lost. It was, they got, got me caught up to speed. It's, yeah, it gets you caught up on the first page. Hal's yeah, been exiled for a year. Yep. <laughs> That's all you need oh, to yeah. know. Again, well, actually, it was, good. I, it was, it was and really I thought good. that was That's good. Right. I mean, I picked this one because I love uh, Dave Gibbons' art. And yes. He, you know, really was famous for his Green Lantern run in the 80s. Yep. Um, and the art's great. You know, he obviously went on to much, you know, greater acclaim working with Alan Moore on stuff like Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a great artist in his own right, so that's kind of why, you know, I suggested this might be a good issue. But, um, it, you know, it's funny, the, the X-Men issue we just covered really could catch you up pretty quickly. This one mm-hmm. basically sets you up, it's like almost like a soft reboot. Like yeah, it, it this is definitely a jumping-on point is what they would yeah. call this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was, it was good. I am... Um, when it comes to the art, about the only only complaint I had, I wasn't a complaint, just a personal preface. I, I, it kind of weirded me out, like having Hal have eyes. Oh, through the like, domino mask. Yeah, I was kind of like, what? Like, there's one frame on page. Uh, is it nine? Yeah, page nine. Yeah, the extreme like, close up. Yeah, and he's like actually closing his eyes, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of kind of different, but. Other than that, I thought it was great. Like, like I said, like, that's just a, that's not even like a complaint. It's more of a nitpick, like a personal preference. I kind of I kind of like it better with just the white eyes. Yeah, I like it when it's stylized like that too. But anytime you're, tr- you're gonna try to hit home the emotion, yeah, you're gonna want to see yeah. those eyes. Yeah, and I can kind of see what I mean. And it's funny because I say that, but then like the extreme close up on 15 where he's like, you know, fellas, I thought you'd never ask. I actually kind of like, you know, the the kind of scene. So uh, I don't know. Well, I like the, when he's going to use the ring to blast apart the meteors, and it's like, not yet, not yet, and then it, it's a close-up on his eye, actually, and he's like, now, you know, and that, that expression in his eye can show that concentration. I thought it was cool in this issue that I guess I hadn't read as many of these older issues as I thought, or at least I don't think I've read this one, but I did read and have pretty much Jeff John's whole, like, modern run on on Green Lantern from Rebirth, you know, all the way up to basically, well, I say Green Lantern Rebirth, all the way up to the New 52, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of that a lot of that era must have been mined from these 80s Green Lantern books because that, like, that there's some Green Lanterns that are his friends and some that resent him. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a big story point, basically, in the... In Jeff John's, you know, very yeah. Well, this this thirty six hundred lanterns, they're all from different worlds. I mean, it's not unreasonable that you know they're not all going to get along perfectly. Yeah. Well, and I had to Google like why was he exiled? You know, so it says that Jordan is exiled into space for a year by the Guardians in order to prove his loyalty to the Green Lantern Corps, having been accused of paying too much attention to Earth when he had an entire sector of the cosmos to patrol. Well, you know, space yeah. cops. Yeah. So basically it was uh, it was actually almost two years. It was from Green Lantern 151 in April of 82 to 172, this issue we're covering right now, cover date of January 84, that yeah. uh, he was, quote-unquote, in exile in space. Well, there huh. you go. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a pretty darn good issue. I mean, this is the perfect kind of jumping on issue. It gets you caught up on the first page. I was not lost at all. I, it didn't even matter to me why he was exiled. The only thing that matters is at this point right now, he's done. Hal Jordan gets to 
go back, plead his case, and restart his life, hopefully. And again, it's, he's not, it's not guaranteed either. I mean, he's not sure what the Guardians are going to decide. Uh, so we spend, you know, half the issue in space and getting that resolved, and now it's time to move on. Now, uh, yeah. now the, now the stories can go back to being cosmic and, you know, also doing stuff on the Earth. So it's, yeah, it's, um, Definitely the kind of issue that if if I if this was the first Green Lantern book I picked up, or if I had been out of it for a while, and I'd be like, yeah, let's catch up and see what old Hal's doing. And I'd be like, okay, yeah. stuff's been going on. I'm all right. He doesn't have to stay in space. I'm going to see where this goes, especially since he's got his woman back now. You know, his lady friend. Lady. Yeah, no, it was, it was really good. I, I I liked it. I I um I don't know what else to say other than like I mean as a as a, I actually am. I'm, pretty big green lantern fan and and that's why i had the same feeling i like that it was kind of a a jumping on point um a nice little kind of start and um yeah 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 um we didn't cover it in this you know in our actual review here but there is a uh, a green lantern core backup story yeah also drawn by gibbons and those you know some of those were also used to um you know, he teamed up with Alan Moore on some of those. And yeah, a lot of the stuff from the the back matter. Green Lantern kind of tied into some of those old Alan Moore backup tales of the Green Lanterns that Gibbons drew as well. It's good so. stuff. I, I I I like Green Lantern. I um I really dug the the Jeff Johns era stuff, I, and I've enjoyed everything I've read going back to it. Um, I guess because I'm kind of a sci-fi guy. So yeah. I like yeah. The, the, the space angle, the cosmic angle, as it were. Um, well, I just, you know, that was when I really kind of got into comics was after college and, you know, Infinite Crisis and Civil War were both kind of going on about the same time. And for whatever reason, I also kind of latched on, maybe just because I heard such good reviews of it and I tried it and liked it. But, you know, if anyone out there is listening and hasn't read that Jeff Johns run that starts in Green Lantern Rebirth and goes into a new number one with Green Lantern and a new number one with Green Lantern Corps and works its way forward for several years. Several years until uh, some really great, good. great modern comic story, you know. Yeah, so it's yeah, a uh, great just read art, it. great story. Yeah, even if you just read it through, like, the first big event, the Sinestro Corps War. Oh. Yeah, 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 you can get off good. there if you want. It's fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this is a this is a perfectly good issue, man. This is this is a good pick. It's I I know everybody praises Dave Gibbons' work on Watchmen, yeah. which is which is nice. It, I mean, he he changes his style a little bit to fit the the Alan Moore writing style, but man, does he just draw some really nice clean lines on a standard mm-hmm. superhero comic book story? It's like mm-hmm. the faces are good. They all have different expressions. Uh, he's and he's drawn an iconic version of Hal. It's like that's when you when I think of Green Lantern, I think of that uniform, the white gloves, yeah, the yeah. green boots, and uh, you know the rest of it being black. It's it's what I want to see if, when I'm reading a, a Flights and Tights book. That's the kind of art I want to see. It's well, super clean. Like how he makes he does a really good job with Hal flying. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of the, the parts where he has Hal flying, it's a really kind of fluid. I just like the way he draws Hal flying. I don't know how to really describe why or how, but I think it just it looks cool. Yeah, it's well. I mean, it's I mean, some of it's a little bit Superman, and some of it's 
you know, it, its own thing. Carol! <laughs> Carol! It's a great panel. It is a great, it's panel. A great panel. And it's exactly what it is. It's the the, the launching off from the, the ground and yeah. uh, doing the whole Christopher Reeves thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, yeah, I definitely, um, I would say uh, my grades cross board would probably be uh, probably be just solid B's. I, I just it just pales a little bit in comparison to the X Men book. That's the only reason why. You know, other than that, it's awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess I'll go. Uh, I'll go next. It's. Um, it's a. It's a fun, pretty straightforward book. Um, the cover is. Um, that's a pretty darn nice cover. Um, <laughs> you know, you get the background is all the various Green Lanterns, and you get the 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 logo right there right above hal and then the guardians pointing accusingly mm-hmm. at hal jordan uh that's a really solid cover uh not quite as iconic as the one we just saw so i can't give it an a uh i'm going to give it a solid b on the cover the interior art uh again it's not john byrne i know we all kind of fall over ourselves over john byrne on the network uh but there's a reason why uh but i do really like dave gibbons art when he does uh, just a standard superhero story uh so i go b plus on the interior art some of the backgrounds are a little lackluster but his figure work is great and yeah. uh the story um it's not um it's the beginning of a new chapter um it doesn't really drop any bombshells or anything um but it's a uh, it's a perfectly acceptable start to taking a, a book into a new direction uh so i you know i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go actually uh just a, a c on the story it's an average story but it, it does what it's supposed to do I'll uh I'll echo that with the B for the cover. I mean, I, I like that all the background Green Lanterns have different expressions, you know? Some of shock, some of anger, some of you know, whatever. And Hal looks very worried. So, you know, it's it's cool that he gave us a lot of variety there. Um I'll probably go B on the cover. I actually really like the interior art and I noticed the same thing that you did though, that as it progresses a little bit, the backgrounds kind of, kind of get a little more stark in a lot of the dialogue. Have you yeah, seen? once we get to I'd Earth, probably, it's kind of boring. I'd say it's maybe I'd give it like an A-. minus. I still really like Gibbons, uh, you know, mm-hmm. his art overall. And then, um, and actually, I really, I think his art's a little more, I, I kind of like it a little more even in the, the backup story, too. It's pretty good. And yeah. then um, for the for the story itself, I would go B for the story. I think the story is a, a good transition, a good start for a new era, a good catch you up kind of episode or issue. But um, you know, it's definitely not A material, I'd say. So fair enough. All right. Well, that that leaves it to me then with our indie book. And uh, what we're gonna review here now is Nexus number one. And Nexus number one was published by Capital Comics at first, but eventually ended up at First Comics. And Nexus was part of uh, basically an early 80s boom in creator-owned properties. Um, you think of like Matt Wagner and... Uh, Mage. Mage and what was the other one? Grendel uh, was the big Grendel, one. Yeah, other stuff big like one. that. Like when you think, like that's the kind of bl- like... There was a lot of black and white books, and this issue we're covering here is black and white. Um, 
there was just a boom in eighties, you know, indie comics at the time that kind of, uh, you know, it, it was probably as fun for the fans back then as the subsequent booms in like image comic in the nineties or vertigo in the eighties and nineties was, uh, you know, for those fans. So Mike Barron and Steve Rude created this character and this like story idea. Barron, of course, he went on to a long career in comics and garnered nominations for all kinds of different awards, including Eisner Awards, which is kind of like the top honoring comics uh, creator creator work. And Steve Rude, he has had a long career as well, and he actually has won all kinds of awards uh, for his art, which we'll uh, discuss here in a little bit, I guess. But on the cover is a pretty cool sci-fi cover with, like, Hydra or AIM style goons <laughs> surrounding Nexus, the hero, and he's kind of in a Luke Skywalker ish pose. A little yeah, bit, a little uh, bit Tron, a little bit Luke Skywalker. Tron, yeah, yeah, yeah Very definitely. Tron. Yeah. So, yes, imagine the that classic Tron poster where he's got the light kind of over his head and all that, or uh, Luke Skywalker holding his lightsaber up and like Princess Leia kind of, you know, clinging to him. That's that's this cover. It's it's a good cover. Um, the only, yeah, we can get to that later. But so let me uh, just tell the story. So this is in three chapters. So chapter one, and it has a quote to begin. It says, "History makes us some amends. Makes what did I write that down wrong? Makes a, some amends for the shortness of life." And it's the story takes place on the moon Ilum. It's spelled Y L U M, but there's a little uh, editorial box there that says pronounced Ilum. And Thank you, editorial box. <laughs> hmm. Thank you, editorial box. Uh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we don't want to go around saying Ilum, uh, but Ilum. So, and this is in Earth year 2481. So this would have been basically, you know, 500 years in the future from when this uh, would have been published. So in a facility deep beneath the moon's surface, a man dreams of history. First, he dreams back 20 years to Earth to a state prison in Paraguay. And there, a man is tortured by basically like a sadistic warden or... Uh, military official or something. The man awakes and orders his helpers to prepare his ship in uniform. He is Nexus, and he dream that wait, and the dreams are his alone. It seems his uh, helper wants Nexus to get uh, revenge on some people who have done him wrong in the past. But Nexus says he must be patient, and he leaves the moon base in his ship. So, <clears throat> twenty years after fleeing Paraguay, Paraguay for his crimes. Colonel Vega is a wealthy and powerful government official on the planet Constantinople. He is dining with friends when he is gifted a 20-year vintage of wine from Paraguay, and he immediately is, gets like a guilty sensation for whatever he must have done in the past, and at that time, Nexus arrives, and Vega orders his men to attack, but Nexus is impervious to their guns, and anything they try and do, he basically just defeats them pretty easily. And he kills Vega with a blast from his hand. And as he leaves, he's attacked by like a huge group of soldiers, all to no effect. And when asked who made him God and judge and jury and executioner, he responds that he doesn't attack out of vengeance, but out of self-defense. He dreams of history, but wakes to nightmares. So in chapter two, it's a week later, and Sundra Peel has arrived at Ilum at the moon. She's a, uh, She's basically a reporter, and... 
He tells her she needs to leave, but there are solar storms that have flared up in the area, so she can't leave until they reside. And uh, she basically uses that time to interview the other people on this moon, because there are actually other people on this base on this moon. She first speaks to um, basically like an ape man named Dave. Yeah. He to a bike factory on his home world, but a racial purity faction took over the planet nationalized his factory and he eventually ended up uh, basically in a prison cell in his own warehouse and then one day Nexus of course arrived to judge the new manager who was treating him all so badly and took Dave and the other um, oppressed thunes that's what they're yep. that's the name of the alien race they're Elvis monkeys that's what they look yes, like basically yes that's what they kind of look like uh, to freedom on their on his moon base so Basically, all the people she interviews there on the base are political refugees from different planets. So after several days of interviewing the refugees, a ship arrives for the moon. Nexus orders it away, but they surprise him with an offer and offer to release him from his dreams. So he tells them to come visit, and three armed men teleport down. Now in Chapter 3... The men are representatives of the Pan-Galactic Miners' Union. They want to hire Nexus to kill... Z- I guess Zypher Mirrored. He's a supreme dictator of the Hessian Republics. He's basically a slaver and a warlord. In exchange, they will use technology on their ship to end Nexus's dreams. Nexus desperately wants to be free from the dreams as they are terrible, but he takes three days to make his decision. He decides to accept the offer. He will kill the supreme dictator for them. That's the end of chapter three and the end of issue one. So... All in all, I guess I'd say it was a really cool first issue. Uh, I love Steve Rude's art. I thought yes. it was really awesome in this story. Oh, cool. um, super clean. Great use of black and white contrast. Um, his cartooning is expressive. The action's dynamic. I just really like it. And as far as Baron's story go, it's pretty high, pretty high concept sci-fi. I mean, basically... You don't get it's a mystery. Like you're, you don't really yeah. know at this point. It's obviously the first issue. You don't know why he's dreaming this stuff that he's dreaming. Yeah, you, we know nothing other than yeah, he's extremely powerful. Yeah. We just know he's basically like this undefeatable, uh, like he said, judge, jury, and executioner. He basically just shows up, finds bad people, and burns them to a cinder. Basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and and there's definitely like uh, with all the people and even the story from Dave. I mean, there's definitely a political bent to this story. Um, you know, it was the '80s, and I actually felt like in just the like the costuming and the design, and it also that the one story takes place in Paraguay. The 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 supreme dictator guy that they want him to kill. He looks like. Um, what I imagine like a banana republic, yes, like Decimo kind of guy would look like. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or yeah. or like a Muammar Gaddafi or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. not thinly veiled at all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, um, I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I have been dying to get into Nexus for years now, um, just because I've seen the artwork, and I'm like, oh man, that is some rad artwork. Uh, so when you suggested this, I was like, alright, I'm gonna take this in, and um, yeah, I I got sucked in right away 
reading this. The artwork is so evocative and beautiful and weird in all the right ways. Uh, the alien designs are great. I love the design of Nexus's costume. It's just so simple and perfect. Um, and then it just in, in, in terms of the story, I have no idea what the hell is going on yet. Um, but this is not Superman. This is not Captain America. This is not Batman. This is, it's, and it's not even something weirder, like something you get from heavy metal or, uh, Judge Dredd. It's its own animal. And I, I'm just really, really excited to see where it goes next. Cause I know nothing about this property. Nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. when I, I looked up, uh, books that were published in A3 and I actually, sorry, I didn't mention that. It, um, it was, well, and, well, yeah, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, uh, years ago, years ago, I was perusing the stacks of the library and Dark Horse, I'm pretty sure it was Dark Horse, published, republished all of these old Nexus books and, yeah. Like, uh, like like a uh, an archive type edition omnibus type edition where it um maybe had the first 12 or first 24 issues or something like that um really high quality printing and coloring and all that and i read the first volume years and years and years ago and so when i saw that um it was in the same time period we were looking for due to like you know the possibility of the Stranger Things kids reading it, I was like, oh yeah, I know Nexus. It's a, it's a great indie book. You know, let's go for it. And, uh, and like you said, it's not your traditional superhero and it's not, it's not like a underground comic, you know, type thing. It, it's, it's definitely a mainstream comic, but it's what indie comics can do so well. You know, they can, they can tell a, a more high concept story or something. Yeah. I mean, some know, of the aesthetic is normal. Yeah, it's I mean some of the aesthetic is is almost out of like um Flash Gordon, you know. Definitely. Well, like the bad guys. Like I feel like yeah. I feel like uh the goons he's kind of fighting, like to me they look like Flash Gordon, you know, bad guys. Yeah, it's yeah. very it, a lot of it's that retro futurism. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's def- definitely distinctive. Yeah, I, I know it's funny. That was, I thought of heavy metal when I was reading it. Um, it reminded me a lot too of like um, one of the few comics I did read back in the '80s when I was young was Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah, because you know, it was all black and white, and it kind yep. of reminded me of that. And um, yeah, and then you know it's funny. There's there's two different ways to start out a story. One where you kind of get the basic premise laid out to you, and you can kind of see like how it will just kind of be a repeating story every week you know like with a tv show and then there's the other way which is kind of like this where you just kind of it's all kind of a mystery you're kind of thrown into it and then you're just kind of given little bits and pieces here and there that kind of illuminate the bigger picture step by step and um and i like that in this i like how it's it's not all completely spelled out you get a hints of what's going on here and there but it's just kind of it just gets the ball rolling and um you know so you've got your the the character of the the girl that, that's interviewing is kind of our, our stand-in, kind of finding out about the story bit by bit, and it was cool. It was dynamic. Um, the art was amazing, and I, I dug the black and white more than I thought I would. Um, 
yeah, and I, I, I'd like to read more of this. This is pretty, just pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I um, I thought it was cool how they also they give you like the action beat kind of here where he goes to attack this Vega guy, who the whole part where they had the flashback in the you know twenty years prior. I mean, just in one page, nine panels or whatever yeah. it is. You're like, man, this guy, this guy needs to go. You know, like you get right away. This is a bad guy. Um, but the the art, you know, is he's just like blasting in to kill this guy, and you know, knocking all his goons away and everything else. It's just, you know, you get this really cool action beat. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. You get a really cool, you know, battle just to kind of get you through the beginning. Then you kind of back up and you start getting more backstory in the second part. And then the third part makes you wonder, like, well, you know, where's this going next? And I want to read the next issue now. So, yeah, I thought it was paced well, good writing, um, great art. So definitely would recommend uh, picking up that either that old omnibus or I don't know what or, you know, archive volume or whatever it's called. I don't know if it's uh, in any other, you know, like soft cover trade paperbacks or anything like that, but yeah, I don't know enough to. Before. Yeah, I don't know where you'd pick this up, but I'm sure if you'd go to Amazon through the Two True Freaks link and you type in Nexus, I'm sure you can find some way to get it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so and then it makes me like I've never read Mage or uh, Grendel, even though I've heard you know a lot about them, and I've read some other Matt Wagner stuff, some of his DC work, and I really liked it. So it makes me want to think, you know, man, I bet there was more cool. Mage is uh, really cool. Well, it just makes me wonder if there's like, man, I bet there's some cool, like, you know, 80s indie books that I need to check out. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much under the sun. And, I mean, some of the stuff you only hear about it. Uh, from somebody else. But, I mean, nowadays, I'm sure we go on Google right now and type in 100 best indie or underground comics and we'd be able to get a list that we'd be able to scroll through and be like, Ooh, that seems interesting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I am, uh, I'm really glad you picked this one cause I've been, this has been on my, my list to, to dive into for quite a long time. And, uh, I'm really, really glad that we did. Yeah. It's, I'd never even heard of this. I had no clue it existed. So when you brought it up, I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, it sounds very intriguing. I poked around a little bit on Google, learned learned a little bit about it after I read it. So. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't want to know. I don't think I want to know anything about this because I mean, there's a couple of things yeah. like if it's anything Marvel or DC related, I'm not going to worry about spoilers or anything because I'm just yeah. so entrenched in those worlds. It's like nowadays the only stuff I don't want to know about is ugh, Game of Thrones because I've not read any of the books. Or if I find something like this where I don't know anything about it, I just want to be swept away by whatever it's going to offer me. Well, and it's cool because he, you get this weird sense that like he's trapped somehow to do what he does because he's like when he blasts the guy in the in the first part, it's like no, I'm not doing this out of vengeance. I'm doing this out of self-defense. Yeah. What does that even mean? I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, it's. It's a, it's, I, he, I wouldn't say, well, you could say, you know, it's really popular to have like anti-heroes, 
And maybe he's an anti-hero, but maybe... You no, know, he might not be. I don't know. Yeah, he might not be. It might be like he's trapped in a situation that we don't really understand yet. So, no, it's definitely, for a first issue, it makes you want to keep reading. You know, it makes you want to kind of figure out what's going on, so... Is it just me, or um, the guy that goes to the Thunes planet to take them over the human, That's that really looks like the kingpin. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah... The, and the other, he wasn't modeled on someone. Like that face looked so familiar. It's um, I'm trying to think. Um, I can't remember. Uh, but then the other, yeah, it it does look like somebody. And the other thing, when the um, the uh, Pan Galactic Miners Union show up, the main guy, the one who has the goatee, is that not an original series Klingon? Oh, totally. <laughs> that is yeah. that is an original series Klingon right there. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, and I I loved the alien designs in this too. Punk rock, Elvis apes and weird scrawny guys and with big bug guys. It's it's just I didn't know what to expect from this, but <laughs> it's oh man, I, I'm loving it. It's just so weird. <laughs> I have to. I have to know where it goes. Well, and you get the sense the one guy that like is begging for a nexus to go back to his home planet and like avenge him or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, you have to be patient." I think that's what you know. This guy at the end here is maybe related to that too, you know, because he kind of he looks like that guy. And, hmm. And yeah, I don't know. They all. They all. They all know who this dictator guy is that the minor guild wants him to kill. So yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cool. good stuff. Well, I, I would, yeah. I don't know if y'all have anything else to add, but if not, not I don't really. Rate it. Dave, you got anything? No, no. I think uh, we gushed over it enough. We give it some grades. Okay, well, I'd, I'd give the cover a, a B. It's a, it's a really great, you know, really great cover in terms of how it's drawn, the colors, all that. The only thing I'd say is it. I, I sometimes I don't like it when covers don't really reflect what actually happens in the story. And yes, there is a part where he's surrounded by all the guys, just mm. like you see here, but he's actually extremely antagonistic towards the Sandra or Sandra or whatever her name was. Yeah. Like there's never a part where she's like clinging to him romantically. So I give that one a B uh, interior art. I am going to stick with an A on the art. Love the art. The art's great. Um, I think rude really, you know, made a name for himself with his work on this book, which is a cool way, I would think, to, you know, kind of break in on your own thing. And uh, story, I'd also give an A just because, uh, you know, it's a good story in its own part, but it definitely is you kind of hang in for the next, the next, the next part. So, yeah, the uh, the cover is, I mean. <laughs> It looks like it should be iconic with just the way that it's set up, uh, but I'm, I feel the same way when when it's it doesn't have anything to do with the inside story. It's it's tough, and again, maybe this is something that happens on happens in the story later on. But uh, taking this just as it is, um, the rendering is nice. That costume just looks so sweet. Um, but it's, well, it looks like Space Ghost is what it looks like. A little bit, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but it's uh 
I mean, the rendering is isn't pretty nice on it, but there's also it's also kind of flat and washed out a little bit too, which um, it, it should. I feel like it should pop a little bit more. Um, it almost looks like it was colored with um, markers and and not something else. I don't know. Well, I almost think it looks painted a little bit, or like watercolors. Or something. Maybe that's what it is. Okay. Maybe that's why it looks kind of yeah. kind of soft. Um, but it's uh yeah I mean I I really don't think I could go higher than a than a B on it it's it's better than your average cover but it's not it's not that X Men cover you know yeah <laughs> and uh, the interior art yeah that's an A that is if I'm gonna read something that's weird I want it to look like that because that is the best kind of weirdness I mean the faces are super expressive Nexus's jaw is like carved out of stone um yeah yeah, i mean it's it's just really sweet uh in the story um i don't think as a if i was just going to take this as a one-off i don't think i could give it an a um but it definitely made me interested enough to i'm definitely going to read uh, some more of this and see what happens so uh i'd have to give it a a b because it's um you know, it gives me just a little bit, but the the hope is that uh, what follows will be more impressive than what was here. Um, so just as a one-off, I, I would give it a B. I mean, in terms of the overall context, that might change, uh, but that's not how we do things here. So, uh, yeah, it's a B cover, uh, A interior art, and B story. Um, yeah, I think I think I have to agree with you guys on the cover. Um I'm probably going to give that one a C plus, but I like the interior art a lot. Um, definitely a, a plus on that. Um, the side boob on page 13 alone. Well, the side boob. How did I miss that? <laughs> that was, a, that Oh, was a there it is. Here, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Bottom right corner. Oh no, yeah. Um, no, I thought it was really good. I'm, I'm always a fan of really good. Well done black and white art. Um, this is really, really cool. Uh, I like the story. I would say probably, I'm aligned with you guys, probably in the in the uh, B minus range. It's it's good for what it is. It, 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 I like again. I like the way it kind of starts the mystery. I would have appreciated a little bit more, but I can see how it would play out in the long run. So as an issue in and of just itself, yeah, about a B minus, but really really cool, very intriguing. Um, as always, good choice, JC. Yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a good good slate of books. No, well, I mean, I was about to make a joke about that. They're like, yeah, so it's an editor's month. Let's pick three really good books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had never read Nexus, so I didn't know what I was expecting. And you know, '80s Green Lantern could be hit or miss. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, yeah, because sometimes on Back to the Bins, they 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 torture themselves a little bit with the quality of the books they end up with. And, and oftentimes those are some of the best episodes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but, definitely. Yeah. But I'm never going to track down an, an issue of F Troop. Sorry. <laughs> Nor should you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on these three books other than uh, if you haven't read them, read them? No, I'm, I think that's all I got. I'd just say... Um, Listen, uh, go back and listen to Cast Protection when you're getting ready for uh, 
season two of Stranger Things later this year, and we'll definitely we'll definitely be back to uh, talk to y'all about that. You know, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, we're gonna have some uh, some interesting stuff as well. We're gonna uh, cover some uh, some seventies and eighties genre stuff that uh, maybe the kids would have watched or might have actually influenced the show itself. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for some more uh, genre fun, definitely uh, head over to the uh, Two True Freaks main page and scroll on down to Cast Protection, a Stranger Things podcast, and load us up yeah awesome. it was great to be with everybody and uh hope you enjoyed yeah and i yeah. hope uh mr producer had a nice uh time off here well definitely i was gonna say let's uh make sure we thank uh paul and the other guys for letting us uh take over for an episode oh please it's just a way for them to get out of work that's true that is true <laughs> you're welcome uh, uh, yes, you guys are all welcome. But uh, yeah, definitely get back to doing what you guys do on the regular. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thanks y'all for uh, meeting up tonight, and uh, we'll uh, you'll hear from us uh, hopefully pretty soon. Oh, you know Absolutely. it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.